0: sought after for their success, and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor.
1: Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. The Ford Motor Company is an iconic brand in American business. It was founded in 1903 by Henry Ford, who introduced methods for large-scale manufacturing. It is the second-largest U.S.-based automaker and the fifth-largest in the world. The company designs, manufactures, markets, and services a full line of Ford cars, trucks, SUVs, electrified vehicles, and Lincoln luxury vehicles. It also provides financial services through the Ford Motor Credit Company and is pursuing leadership positions in electrification, autonomous vehicles, and mobility solutions. The company employs today approximately 191,000 people worldwide in more than 65 plants, and it sells about 7 million cars each year around the world under the Ford name. It is valued at approximately $36 billion dollars, Today, my guest is Jeff Nemeth, Executive Director of Ownership Lifecycle Management at Ford. He is the past CEO of the Ford Motor Company of South Africa and former CEO of Ford Leo Ho Motors in Taiwan. As a go-to turnaround executive in Ford, Jeff has a corporate management style that integrates risk-taking and innovation, as well as pioneering cutting-edge reward and motivational techniques. He has been an entrepreneur, which is an entrepreneur within a large corporation. Welcome, Jeff, and uh, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about what you what it's meant by ownership life cycle management.
2: Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Um, ownership life cycle management is really about the what we do with the customers after they buy the car. So. Uh, a Ford Motor Company, as well as many global automotive companies, really focus on the buyer of the vehicle. When they're designing the vehicle, we study um, and survey uh, the potential. The, we call them intenders, the intenders for purchasing our vehicles and our competitors' vehicles, and then we design the vehicles to try to meet the needs of those customers. And what Ownership Lifecycle does is it goes the next step, the next phase which is the ownership phase rather than the purchasing phase and in that ownership phase how we serve the customers through our dealers and then beyond the dealers how we continue to serve the second owner the third owner the fourth owner as the vehicle ages to 10 15 20 years which we've never really studied in detail until they created my position two years ago
1: so this is something brand new within ford
2: Exactly. It's, it's, the whole, it's a kind of an idea of how do we take our customer focus to the next level.
1: And does it stop with the first owner or do you continue as your goal to try and work through multiple ownership cycles?
2: No, our goal is uh, to, to continue to work through multiple ownership cycles. So there's right now in the United States, for example, there are 46 million uh, Fords on the road. And we sell about two and a half million a year in the United States. So so many, many years of Fords are on the road. And what we've done is we've gone out and we've tried to ascertain how many of those 46 million customers we continue to keep contact with. And it's only about 11 million out of the 46 million. So we have an opportunity, kind of an unfulfilled opportunity to go out and connect with the balance of the 35 million owners of our vehicles who are integral into how the market feels about our brand. Um, We want to connect with them and find out what they like and what delights them, what problems they're having, how we can change the design of our vehicles so that people who own the cars, the the second, third, fourth, fifth owner, the hand-me-downs, your children, your grandchildren maybe, how how we can serve them better
1: than we do today. Well, let's. Uh, we're going to come back. Hopefully, we'll have enough time at the end of the show to talk some more about that because this uh, approach seems to be on the cutting edge of really uh, what we see with all sorts of social uh, media and trying to really connect with your customers, not just uh, for one transaction, but for a very long time. So that's a very interesting subject area. Now, someone would, and I think you even characterize yourself as an entrepreneur how what would you tell somebody that doesn't understand what an entrepreneur is how would you characterize
2: that well i think when when you think about a corporation there's i like to call it the machine which is the corporate bureaucracy and you have to find spend some of your time feeding the machine and that's the budgets the business plans the periodic reviews of your financials of your operating performance and some people uh, stop at that, right? They they make a plan, they deliver the plan, or if they don't deliver the plan, they come up with ways to, to deliver the plan or come up with a better plan, and that's all very much operates within kind of a normal corporate structure. What I think of when I think of an entre- entrepreneur, what I think about is somebody that sees opportunities and seizes the moment and takes that opportunity and turns it into um, some sort of a deliverable. And the way I like to think, it, think of it is I think Ford likes me to look around the corner. So what do, you, what, what do you see that's around the corner that maybe isn't obvious because you're buried in you know all these reports, operating reports, budget, and, and business plan reports? So
1: it sounds challenging, though, to be uh, looking around the corners in an organization that is pretty well focused on today. And I, I how does the short-term uh, focus due to the stock market uh, get in your way of doing what you do as an entrepreneur?
2: Well, of course, you know when you do look around the corner and you see an opportunity, usually you'll need resources to. To be able to pursue that opportunity, and when our stock's doing poorly, a lot of times it's doing poorly because our margins aren't where they, where the market expects them to be, or our cash flow isn't where, where um, the market expects them to be. And and as you know, Tom, if you're an, an an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, usually the the fruits of your investment take time to, to bloom, and blossom. And so the toughest thing to do in those instances is. Get the company to fund your ideas and the opportunities that you can see. And I've been blessed in my career with um, leadership that's supported the things that I've tried to do in the different roles that I've had with the teams that I've been working with.
1: Well, we're going to be right back. We're going to cut the break. uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about the path you took to becoming a country CEO. So we're gonna be right back with Jeff Nemeth, Executive Director of Ownership Lifecycle Management at Ford Motor Company. As CEO of Ford South Africa, he took it from the edge of closure to becoming one of the top performing units within Ford. This is Tom Laurie and this is The Mentors Radio.
3: Hi, I'm the Executive Producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I wanna tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than one million fans, one million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to learn more.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie,
1: and we're with corporate entrepreneur Jeff Nemeth, who presently serves as Executive Director of Ownership Lifecycle Management at the Ford Motor Company. Remember, you can listen to us on the radio via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more. Any device at any time. Go to mentorsradio.com to subscribe. All right. When we were in the last segment, talk a little bit about the entrepreneur in you. And what was the path that uh, you took to become a first-time CEO, country CEO for Ford? Uh, along the way, and what were some of the lessons you learned along the way that uh, allowed you to see around the corners? Well, I think you can start um, start with South Bend. I mean, that's always a good place to start. You're an Indiana native.
2: I am an Indiana native. Talk about an unlikely place to start and end up at the bottom of the world in Africa. Um, but the I grew up in South Bend, Indiana. My father was a school teacher and a Notre Dame grad. Um, so when it came time for me to pick a college, Notre Dame was the top of the list, and that's where I ended up going. I was lucky enough to be accepted into the school and, and go through a four-year degree in finance and uh, with an engineering concentration. And then um, I went went off and worked for a couple years and, and decided I didn't like where I was going, so I went back to get my MBA, and Notre Dame had a fantastic one-year program and offered me scholarship opportunity, so I ended up going back to to Notre Dame and got uh, my MBA, and then went to General Motors, interestingly enough, Um, and and General Motors at the time was starting a brand new division, a brand new brand within the company, Uh, and they were trying to take on the Japanese kind of at their own game, so they formed this company called Saturn, and I was the 35th person hired at Saturn, so I was right in on the ground floor. And I think a lot of my um, entrepreneurial entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial opportunities and and opportunity to develop those skills really came right at Saturn, uh, because it was something all new. Uh, General Motors felt like they had to take a hands-off approach in order for the company to fulfill its mission, and it really enabled everybody there to kind of, you know, fly and and do what we thought was the right thing to do without a whole lot of bureaucracy and oversight. And uh, you might recall that Saturn um, was pretty successful at the beginning. Uh, we couldn't build enough cars. We had, uh, th- I think, about 350 dealers that were dedicated Saturn dealers. And the company did really well. Um, until really, with the market got a little bit tough in in the mid '90s, and and the company started struggling a bit with returns and profits, and General Motors decided that we were going to start selling General Motors vehicles in addition to the Saturn vehicles. General Motors developed vehicles as Saturn brands, um, and that they were going to. Take a much larger governance and oversight of the company, and at that point, a lot of us um, that started with the company early on that were still around decided that uh, that it was better to leave than than to watch our baby, you know, kind of uh, have its wings clipped. So that's when I went to Ford, and I started out in Ford in customer service. So parts and and service and after sales. And I worked in strategy within that group. And then I went to Ford Credit. And so I learned how to make a car loan and a car lease when I was a Ford Credit. And I was responsible for pricing and risk. So when you see 4.9% APR, I was the 4.9. And then I moved from there to Taiwan. That was my first expat assignment. Which is kind of interesting. I never really thought about being an expat. It just kind of dropped in my lap. It was an opportunity. Uh, my wife and I were at a point in our lives where that that were, that appealed to us. Um, so we went out and, and did that, and that kind of really started this whole journey of discovery of different cultures, different ways of connecting with people, um, different different ways to to have a successful business and the different things you focus on. And I went from Taiwan to Japan, and I worked at Mazda, which we had controlling interest of at the time. And I was the corporate strategy director there. And then I went back to Taiwan as a CEO, the first time I was there as a CEO. Um, and then from and there- let's uh, like,
1: come back. To, yeah, we're gonna talk about that CEO assignment. That's a, one of the ones that's hard to get. Uh, This is Tom Lawyer, listening to the Metro's Radio Show. Today we're talking to Ford Motor Company executive Jeff Nemeth, who led the famed turnaround of the Ford South African operation. So along the way, uh, both at GM and uh, Ford, what, um, I mean, both, so Saturn was a separate operation, kind of like, I I guess we use the word skunk works. It was kind of separated from the mama ship. Uh, and left to run its, th- now you're in a large more bureaucratic situation at Ford what were the changes you had to make personally to adapt
2: right yeah I think the um, General Motors was really a marketing run organization so it was kind of free and loose um, and the person was run by personalities by marketing and sales you know people like DeLorean and um, how you would expect Iacocca to be, but DeLorean's a great example. Um, And when I got to Ford, it was much more um, thoughtful, structured, process-oriented, and with my background, it just worked better for me.
1: And getting a –
2: go ahead. But, and I, I guess just getting back to your question of what did I have to change, I think yeah, what I had to change is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a big personality, and I don't chase the big ideas. I'm more of a, you know, a detail, What show me the data, and let's make decisions based on the data, not based on gun feel or on what worked last time. Um, I'm much more about what are the customers saying what are our dealers saying what's the what are the surveys telling us what's the data telling us that's what we need to focus on and that's how we made the journey on the um, quality and in South Africa was just fo- you know focus on the customer feedback fix what they think isn't working and th- and if you do that they'll appreciate it and they'll buy more
1: And who were your important mentors along the way, both at GM and Ford early on? I mean, you know, I came out of a large corporation and one of the things that uh, I don't know if it was your experience is that somebody sees you and starts to become your sponsor and things start happening from a promotion standpoint. I don't know if that was your experience, but, you know, moving up in a large corporation and particularly today with so many more, when you look at some of the numbers of employees, it's it's, it's not easy if you really want to be in a position of leadership.
2: What was yours, oh, for sure. your experience? Yes. So I didn't have any at, at Saturn. Um, you know, there was the people above me kind of rotated in and out, right? The senior managers would come to Saturn for a few years, and then they'd go back to General Motors to kind of take the Saturn ideas and try to, um, you know, fertilize General Motors with some of those Saturn ideas. But when I got to Ford, um, I really, when I got to Taiwan as a CFO, it was the MD, the CEO of Taiwan. He's a guy named John Parker. And we, you know, I told you a little bit about, you know, close it or fix it. That's kind of why I was sent there. And he came in about six months after I started, so I already had an idea of, you know, what was wrong. And he was very supportive, and we took it and completely turned around the business in Taiwan. And then he went on to to Mazda as the executive vice president, brought me there to be the strategy manager. Then he went to Asia Pacific to run our Asia Pacific operations, and he put me in the CEO position in Taiwan. And he was still there, and he put me in the CEO position in South Africa. So it's really job partner. Uh-huh.
1: So when we come back, we'll uh, talk about South Africa. We're with Jeff Nema, the Executive Director of Ownership Lifecycle Management at the Ford Motor Company. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio.
6: A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire, after 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award-winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at OathBook.org. That's OathBook.org. oathbook.org.
7: Here at Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, Cornerstone Payment Systems, that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before Cornerstone refuses to process any porn-related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years' experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back.
1: This is Tom Laurie, and we're with corporate corporate entrepreneur Jeff Nemeth, who presently serves as Executive Director of Ownership Lifecycle Management at the Ford Motor Company. He gained international attention as a turnaround CEO for Ford Southern Africa. When we uh, finish the last segment, we're talking about Taiwan and John Parker, who is a Brit. And uh, just for our audience, there's a difference between mentors and sponsors. A mentor uh, typically is outside the uh, reporting line and uh, sits on the sidelines, but mentors you. Uh, The sponsor is somebody that's further along that brings you along and they mentor you along the way too. And they're pretty darn important when you're in a large corporation and uh, I had mine at American Hospital Supply a gentleman named Bill Bartlett and you had yours uh, John Parker also uh, coming in uh, as you did and turning around or being part of a turnaround team uh, at, in Taiwan uh, sounds like it uh, really uh, made some headlines within Ford I like guess it must have been a lost cause when you guys came in and got it turned around
2: yeah, it had been a loss-making operation for about seven years. And when when we built the plant, um, actually, we bought the plant in the 70s. It was built just it was only a couple years old. Another automotive manufacturer built it and then decided that they couldn't make Taiwan work. And we went in in, I think it was 72. Um, and it was just in the middle of rice paddies, you know, out in the farmlands. And the country and the city kind of grew up around it. So the land had a huge value, and what what they sent me over to do was either fix the business or sell it and sell the land, um, and, and get the equity out of the operation uh, that was that was uh, captured in the land. And we were able, you know, I was there for about three months before John came in, and I was able to. Take a look at where we were competitively, what products we were offering, how we were selling them, what our dealer network looked like compared to our competition. and And then went out and I looked at the way we manufactured cars, how much labor we had in the plant, how much the labor cost us, what our total labor and overhead burden, and and really could see a way to make it work. And I thought it was, you know just very much, a couple of the wrong decisions had been made in the past, and if we could turn those around, we really might be able to get this place humming. And, um, and then John Parker came in, and he was new, fresh eyes, and he, he listened to my point of view. He agreed with me, and we were able to turn the place around from, I think we had seven continuous years of, of no profit to uh, making a profit the second year I was there, and then it went on to make quite a bit of money over the next five or six years i was there for about three and then the team that came in were a, were able to uh keep it going and take it to the next level
1: so one of the things i want to point out in terms of your uh, path is that you had a, a number of experiences it wasn't the same thing over again they moved you around and you got to see a lot of different things which uh then throwing you into the uh mix for a turnaround you had some working knowledge of a lot of different areas so for people in our audience that are out there thinking about how to grow a career think about getting a lot of those base experiences if you want to get up into a a general management role which is probably the most difficult role for anyone to get promoted into Uh, jeff getting into that role so how did you develop trust uh within because it takes a lot to put somebody in as a ceo and obviously performance is a big part of that. Is there any other elements that you brought to the table that helped develop trust?
2: Well, I think what's really important, Tom, when I'm mentoring people um, within our organization, I always tell them to embrace the opportunities early in their career because one, the, the further along you get in your career, the less degrees of freedom that you have. You kind of become, in a lot of times, a specialist, a specialist, or uh, you can't go from marketing to manufacturing as easily when you're you know, in your 50s and, and you've kind of become a marketing expert or a manufacturing expert. But early in your career, you can do kind of anything you want. Um, of course, a degree gets you in the door. But once you get in the door, I was a release engineer for a while. I was uh, in IT for a couple years. Um, I did program assurance, which is... Um, what we do in the engineering area to ensure that the, as we're developing vehicles, that we're getting the prototype parts and all the testing done on time so that all the parts come, to, uh, come together at the same time. Um, and then I went into sales and marketing, and I, w- I was a product marketer in sales and marketing, and then I was responsible for um, our station wagon, uh, Saturn station wagon. And then, as I said, I went to parts and service and Ford Credit, um, so I, I had – oh, and I worked down at, in the plant in Spring Hill as well. I was in manufacturing. So I was a plant controller and um, and also a manufacturing director or manager down in the plant in, in uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee with Saturn. So I, I ticked all the boxes. I kind of covered all of the opportunities, the, the different skill teams. And what that allowed me to do as a CFO and a CEO is I could – Check the boxes I, I could connect the dots really quickly, so yeah. somebody you know whether it's manufacturing or marketing or product development would bring me something, I could understand it right away and I could see how it fit into the big picture whether it's a big problem, a little problem, how much resources we should allocate to it to get it fixed and um, or grow it and that I can't tell you everybody I mentor that's what I tell them. Try to get as broad an experience. Don't pigeon yourself into one skill. Try to cover as much of the gambit of what your company does as possible as you're coming up um, in your twenties and your thirties.
1: Well, and then you ran operations and now you're back in the corporate offices doing the lifecycle. So you're continuing uh, to broaden your uh, skill set and knowledge base. So, it doesn't just, I mean, I realize, and I agree, it, it can, you can get narrow, but you've narrowed and now you've branched out again, which is interesting. Uh, we're with Jeff Nemeth, who's executive director of the ownership lifecycle management at Ford Motor Company. Let's switch gears and get to uh, South Africa. We've got a couple of minutes before we go to break. And let's get started on that. So tell us about South Africa. What was the shape of that? Op- what shape was that operation in when you came down to South Africa?
2: Yeah. So we had been in South Africa for a long time, um, almost ninety years when I got there. However, during the apartheid um, sanctions, we pulled out and we discontinued building vehicles. We sold our plants and uh, to a, a company called Samcor, and they they continued building Fords using their own means and methods, um, and then once apartheid was overthrown and Nelson Mandela became president, that we re-entered the, uh, the country. So it, during that time, the Japanese automakers never left. So they, we, we went from being a power and a force in the industry in South Africa to being sixth or seventh um, with all of the Japanese companies um, and some of the European companies above us. Um, and, and so... The operation was struggling. We were losing money. Um, we were our quality was wasn't very good because we the company kind of was left to their own devices and hadn't embraced the Ford production system. Um, and so when when we came in, we were able to bring I was able to bring all those relationships I had. With manufacturing, um, from my experience in Taiwan, and we were we were also building and selling Mazda. So, I like so we're gonna have in to. pay as well.
1: We gotta, we gotta go to break. We're with Jeff Nemeth, executive director of ownership lifecycle management at the Ford Motor Company, and we're talking about his turnaround of Ford South Africa. When we come back, we're gonna talk about how he did it. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show.
8: Hey, professional businesswomen. I know how busy your life is to look your best. Nails matter. The good news is I can save you a lot of nasty, chemical-smelling nail salon time. Just imagine, a perfect manicure in just minutes, at home, even while watching TV. No dry time, no smudges, no streaks, and your new manicure will last up to 10 days, often longer. I'm talking about 100% real nail polish. Yes, real nail polish, including top and base coat, all in one, that can gently be stretched for a perfect custom fit. Gorgeous, vibrant colors, soft pastels, gentle glitter or can't-miss designs and nail art. You have options. For about $12 a set, you can even get some free. Choose your colors or designs. Receive them in about three days. Done. Everything you need is included polish easily removes and does not damage nails. Check it out. Nails4Me.com. Nails, the number four, M-E.com. That's Nails4Me.com.
3: Hi, I'm the executive producer of the Mentors radio show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to learn more.
0: And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back.
1: This is Tom Laurie, and we're with Jeff Nemeth, who gained international attention as the turnaround CEO for Ford South Africa. Remember, you can listen to us on the radio, via podcast, on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device at any time. Go to MentorsRadio.com and subscribe. So now we're in a messy situation down in South Africa. But you, from an experience standpoint, you've already been involved in one turnaround, so you're getting a, a little bit of a reputation for being a turnaround person. Uh, tell us what you did uh, as you came in. You brought all your networks of uh, people and experiences. and How did you apply them?
2: Well, the first thing we did is we looked at where were our gaps to the competition in the market. And we felt that we had a big gap in our quality uh, performance. And that was an area where, um, you know, time and data management and forward production processes were so, are some of the best in the world. And we really hadn't implemented them in South Africa. So that's the first place we looked. So I walked out to the plant and I started kind of assessing the way we were building cars and the way we understood what happened the day before and the day before that and how we were changing the way we were building cars, uh, reacting to those uh, issues or problems or challenges that we came across. And um, what I noticed was the the people that were there were not really engaged. Um, They were building cars. They were doing their jobs. Uh, but they were going about it, uh, kind of going through the motions, I guess I would say, and I could tell they knew they knew what they were doing, so they were they were using their heads, they were thinking, but they didn't feel good about it is kind of what I took away about from it and how could i how could I ignite that passion for them to to build vehicles in a way that they could be proud of and so what we decided to do.
1: Now you you had a very high absentee rate, right?
2: Yeah, well, our absentee rate was, um, it was above fifteen. I think it's about fifteen percent. And generally, and we you, try to stay under five. You know, with the best yeah. plants being kind of in the two to three, and our worst plants being in the kind of the four to five. Um, so, you know, how how do we get people just to come to work? And South Africa is a, a poor place. And if they don't come to work, they don't get paid. So you're, you're thinking, this must really be bad if if they won't even come to work and knowing that they're struggling to make ends meet and to put food on the table. So we started thinking about and how we could change that attitude. And so we thought, you know what, maybe we should send them to one of our plants that has what we call... Um, quality circles so it's basically a group of of workers in the plant that take responsibility for their part of the plant so it's usually groups of fifteen to twenty five people that are all in that same area of the plant and we actually call them natural work groups because they decide themselves who their comrades and their and their work partners are and um, and so we, we we're going to We had two really good plants. One was in Germany, and one was in India. And we thought about sending them to Germany, and then we thought, these are people who are largely um, unskilled, don't have a lot of education. The South African education system is, is I think, 144th in the world out of 170. Um, and, And, you know, if we sent them to Germany they probably have a hard time relating to our German workers that kind of come from a different background, a different culture. And so we decided to send them to India um, because our Indian workforce um, is kind of on the same socioeconomic level they are. um, and, And also kind of this idea, South Africa still has very much of a community culture um, we might call it tribal a little bit, um, but it's it's that everybody in the community supports each other, and India is a lot like that too. Um, so we thought that our workers would be able to identify with our Indian workers better than they would with the Germans. So that's where we sent them, and we sent 250 of our um, team leaders, our thought leaders, um, and and some of our workers that we knew would benefit the most from it and we sent them there in groups of 20 and they were there for two weeks and then they'd come back and it was kind of you know to then they teach and and assimilate what they learned throughout our workforce and we offered them the the opportunity to meet every wednesday night in order to do that and that's that's an interesting story um because we wanted to keep this going after they got back. And so on uh, Wednesdays we brought the 250 of them or a subset, we about hundred of them every Wednesday and we rotate through the 250 and we bring others into. and we'd have a couple groups talk about how they were implementing what they what they learned in India. and we and we required them to do PowerPoint slides to describe it because you know PowerPoints the corporate, communication tool, right? And it just wasn't working. And we tried it for like 3 or 4 months and our attendance started becoming waning and we sat down and talked to some of the people on the line and said, "Why do you what do you think's not working?" And they said, "We don't know how to use PowerPoint. It's really hard for us to communicate using this tool. So can you let us do it the way we want to do it?" And we knew it wasn't working, and as, as difficult as it was not to use PowerPoint as a corporate, you know, corporate guy, I said, "Sure, do you know, do whatever works for you." And so they did skits and songs and dancing, and it was like you turned a key. It was like we found we unlocked the communication problem, and the meetings started thriving, and they started thinking about their skits and what do we want to communicate and how do we do it through acting and singing and dancing. Tom, it was unbelievable and it's just one of those moments in life when you realize just how different cultures are and, you know, the way you learned it isn't necessarily the best way.
1: Well, when we come back, we're going to continue the discussion about what Jeff Nemeth, board executive, did to turn around the South African operation. This is Tom Laurie and this is the Mentors Radio.
7: And now, back to The Mentors,
0: where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and we're with corporate entrepreneur Jeff Nemeth who is executive director at Ford Motor Company. And we're talking about his turnaround of the South African operation and some of the innovative things he did and some of the learnings he had in doing that. Uh, So we were talking about the turnaround, uh, and you've got people now communicating. Quickly, tell us about uh, what else happened and where things ended up.
2: Well, the the plant manager had me come out one morning um, early before the line started, just to see what was going on in it. He said, you have to see this. And what happened was all of our workers gathered in groups of twenty, fifteen 15 to 20 people, and they started, each one of them had a job um, that wasn't really part of their job. So one was responsible for quality, one was responsible for supplies, one was responsible for um, what happened the day before. And, and they went around the circle, and each one of them was now a manager, of the area where they were building cars and the so they do their manager role and then they'd go and they'd start putting mirrors and tires on the cars and whatnot. It was really surprising. But where we ran into a problem was them communicating with the plant management. So we had this group of plant engineers that had been there for a long time and now that we've changed the culture on the line and the people were engaged and empowered and loving what they were doing, we now they've to get that kind of enthusiasm to the next level, we were having trouble with that communication between the the offices in the plant and them. So we said, well, how can we fix this? We thought, let's have a company picnic. So And let's have a soccer tournament. So they can soccer is a huge sport in South Africa. So they all went out. Um, we had them all. We had a huge bunch of soccer fields at the plant, and we went out to do that. And they started picking teams, and it turned out to be the plant management teams, and the plant workers' teams. So he said, no, 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 no. We're going to pick a manager's kid and a worker's kid, and they're going to be the two captains of each team, and they're going to have to pick together. And so we integrated the soccer teams, uh, management and labor, and then the parents on the sidelines just became moms and dads right? They weren't, it wasn't management versus labor. Um, It was moms and dads cheering on their kids and we unlocked the communication issue. And then we started doing that periodically and it it really formed a lot of camaraderie within the plant. And and I'd say that's, you know, after the the trip to India, that was the second most important thing. And, And that's when our plant quality started marching down the Pareto chart from one of the worst of each quarter it got better and better and better and by the end of the year we were the second best quality plant in Ford
1: and you had real quickly I know you displaced uh, Toyota as well along the way Tell us like very quickly about AIDS Day and what you do uh, down in South Africa
2: yeah so December 1st is AIDS Day and we always have a huge um, a huge event to celebrate Um, getting tested and finding out what your status is because if you don't know if you have it or not you can't take care of yourself you can't take care of your partner um, you can't make sure you're safe and the so what we did is we each of our AIDS days was a big testing drive and we could never really get about above about 45 to 50 percent test rate and of that you know we had a the, co- the country has about a 20% a- HIV incidence rate, and our plant was a little better than that, uh, but we had quite a few workers that were living and working with AIDS, and, um, and so we decided that we were going to put a program in place to get us up, and we decided we were going to give away a car, and the way to got a raffle ticket was to get tested, and we went from 50% to 95% testing, which was unbelievable. Oh, great.
1: Yeah, great program. So I got one last question for you, and that is, uh, all the people you've met in your career and everything, what is that one thing that you've seen that separates those who are happy from those that aren't?
2: Well, I like to think of that. um, I've got this thing I call the three Cs, candle, courage, and curiosity. And the candle means keep the candle lit for others um, who struggle with the darkness. And that's bringing your ideas and, and your point of view and helping people see um, what's worked for you in other places. And the second one is courage. And that's trying to encourage people to have the determination, the dedication, the competitive drive to sacrifice the little things in life and make the investment for the things that are really worthwhile. And trying to teach them that, you know, thought that success is, is not final, and failure is not fatal. Um, And it's really the courage to keep going that counts. We're we're gonna have
1: to we're gonna we're going to we're going right to the end here and I'm gonna to have to sign off. We've been with Jeff Nemeth from Ford Motor Company. This is Tom Laurie. Thank you for joining us on the Mentors. Go to thementorsradio.com for more information. We look forward to having you back next week at this time. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the
0: darkness. It's been the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs uh, challenge your thinking about life and business.